0: Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM 87.6, 8718 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. The sun is shining here in the Newcastle area. There's a beautiful morning happening outside, a little bit of fog in the valley. Life is good, and you are with Lyle and... Minnie! Minnie! How are you this morning?
1: (laughs) I'm so good. I said I'm hungry, but I'm so good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Minnie missed her breakfast this morning. I did. Which means that she's not going to have breakfast until, what, 9.30, 9.45, 10 10 (laughs) o'clock? You're going to be hungry by then. I
1: know, I know. But it's okay. It just keeps things interesting, I guess.
0: <laughs> so, what are you thankful for this morning? I'm thinking you're not thankful for being hungry.
1: <laughs> you know, what? it's a good feeling to have, you know, though. Okay. But what I'm truly thankful for is, I was thinking about this on the drive here. I'm so thankful. I just feel like my life is full of good people, like good friends. Yes. And you know how people say, your, your circular friends is so important. But it's actually quite difficult as you get older, I think. To go into new niches and find a good group of friends.
0: Oh, it is, absolutely. It takes seven years.
1: Yeah. And so when people say, Oh, if you're you know, you don't have a good community, just go get more. That that's really hard. And I was just Close
0: friends is hard.
1: But even good people sometimes, like just acquaintances. Sometimes you're just in an area. Like when I've moved to different towns, sometimes you just they're just, you know, there's not a good mob. (laughs) (laughs) And I just seem to just have my life full of all these people that I'm like, you're amazing. Like just, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm very thankful. Having a life
0: full of amazing friends is usually, comes about by being amazing.
1: Look, I'll take that.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Right how are there. you this morning, Laura? I am, I am amazing this morning. Hey. <laughs> My life is full of amazing friends as well. So Brilliant. Um, I think we should give our, both give ourselves a pat on the back. Uh, let me think, <laughs> what am I thankful for this morning? I'm thankful that you don't have the Rona.
1: Uh, also, yes. yes.
0: Super <laughs> thankful for that uh, because if you'd have had that, we would not have been here today. So that's um, that's really awesome. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Okay, Minnie, tell us some positively different news stories this morning.
1: Okay, so if you're a teacher or you have kids who have a teacher or you know a teacher um, who puts in a lot of effort, I think you'll enjoy this story. So obviously, COVID, stitch up. For us all, Um, but I just found this story, um, it's just recently come out, but during COVID in Guatemala, the Western Highlands, Highlands, do they have Highlands? Anyway, in the Western area of Guatemala, um, there was a teacher, he's 27 years old. He has um, a wife and a three-year-old son, and he found that some of his students were um, they just, their family couldn't afford to have mobile data. He was trying to send WhatsApp messages, you know, as school shut down, couldn't do anything. So he bought a bike and hitched it up with a whiteboard and a solar panel to play audio files. And he's trying to twice a week um, individually visit all of his students um, to just go out and help them learn. And for me, like I'm studying primary teaching. And COVID has just been like an interesting thing, but I know many, many friends who they're just like, it's just the worst not being able to like see your kids, um, and I just think this is incredible because he he makes the point. And he said, you know, the, the learning is not happening for some of these kids. And the educational, you know, the statistics of like literacy, like they're quite low anyway. And so he just went, right, I'm going to buy a secondhand tricycle and we're going to make it happen. We're going to get the learning to you. That's and awesome. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, a double good story because not only is he just really putting in the effort, but also that some of these families, they're pretty much starving. Like they just don't have a lot. And he said that, he went out to someone and, and they just said to him, oh, teacher, I've been given some food and I want to give you half of it. Oh, wow. And there's something about a truly, it's a truly generous heart that gives from a place of nothing. Yes. And I think I read a book recently and they were saying when, when someone who has nothing gives you everything, that's a true act of love. And you don't say no to that. Like even if they need it more, they're giving you everything they have and you've got to honour that dignity and humanity in them. Um, but I was like, "Oh, my days!" And he said he just went home and just just cried, like he was just like, "Oh, my days!"
0: <laughs> and this is part of the untold story. What we're seeing now is more people dying of starvation mm. as a result of COVID than are uh, dying of COVID. Yeah. Uh, particularly in these developing countries, it is a it's it's a global disaster that you know the likes of we have not seen in our lifetime. Mm. Uh, but particularly this you know Africa and places like that, it's just because the the economies have just collapsed. That's right. You know, and a lot of these are countries that you know really do rely on, you know, international visitors from developed countries mm. to be able to go there and to take their tourist dollars there. Of course, that's all over. Uh, they rely on foreign aid companies that are working in the in these countries. Of course, all the foreigners have gone home. All the people with money uh, have gone home, and we are seeing a a, a second wave of starvation as a result yes. of COVID-19, which is really, really horrific.
1: And I think we really need to be aware of that. I mean, yes, it's frustrating, but it's easy to complain and be like, oh, this sucks and the government's doing this. And like, you know what? In comparison to a lot of other countries, we have it so good. That's right. Like we actually do. Absolutely. Like, just-
0: Absolutely. You know, many many sitting here is like, oh, I'm studying teaching. Will I ever get to study? Will I ever get to, t- to teach children <laughs> face-to-face? You know, least of the problems. Least Absolutely. Of the problems. yeah.
1: No, uh, we, so we live true. in Australia. Yeah.
0: Yes, indeed. Okay, so um, yeah, what else okay. is happening?
1: Okay, so in Gwinnett County Jail in Georgia, the United States, just for context, because I know that's really important. Um, yes, there to- <laughs> are
0: more than one. There is a country and a state named Georgia. Mm-hmm. So make sure we get the right one.
1: So, in a jail, there was three inmates, and they saw the deputy. He just wasn't looking so good, and they kind of just watched him throughout the day. They were in their cells, like doors are locked. Um, and he's at his desk doing something. I can't remember what it it was. just, just work. You know, he's just doing deputy work that he does. And he passes out, um, falls on the floor, hits his head, starts to bleed. They start like just pounding. They're pounding and they're, they're screaming at him. He kind of becomes conscious thinking it's an inmate who needs help, unlocks the doors and, in the time it gets from them to get out of their cells to him, he's lost consciousness again. So they like do the radio thing, like call in da da da. Um, help comes. They don't think it's a stitch up, which is good because you know, and I just thought it was really cool because I think sometimes generally speaking as a society, people can look at um, criminals and go, Oh, you know, like they've lost their humanity. They've made their choices. But you know, this one guy just went, we didn't do anything for him that he wouldn't do for us. And like, that's where you see that relationship has so much influence.
0: And this is one of the things I like about this story is that it's, it's a very good story because you know prison guards and prison inmates or guards cannot make form any kind of a relationship with inmates. Mm. You know, the moment they form a, a relationship of any kind of any kind of visible relationship with an inmate, you know, they they lose their job uh, because those kinds of relationships end up. Resulting in criminal behaviour, mm. and so they have to maintain a very, very wide social distance, and they have to be antagonistic okay. to be able to maintain that social distance. And for prisoners to be able to here stand up for the guy who is, you know, his job description is he has to maintain an antagonistic approach to them. That's that's saying something. That's Absolutely. you know, these are some guys here that. Um, have experienced some rehabilitation somewhere along the line. Mm,
1: Absolutely. I I used to live with a girl and her and her boyfriend actually worked in a jail. And I remember her saying when she had first started, it was so hard because you really had to... What was the saying she'd say? Something about getting got. Like you had to be really careful of not getting got. And so she was like, I want to not befriend them because you can't. That's right. But also give them that respect. And she said just finding that balance and that dynamic... Was really difficult, and there were some days she came home and it was just so hard. And I mean, she because had- you can't
0: smile, you can't be friendly, you have to maintain, a, you know, a, an antagonistic relationship. That's yeah. the only thing you can do.
1: And yet, I think for our humanity, there is this level of you kind of have to go a little bit one way of compassion or a little bit one way of heart and heart. Do you know what I mean? Like we can't. Oh, we, it would be one we of we the most difficult jobs ever.
0: Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah,
1: yeah. And like I knew this other. <laughs> lots of stories of people who, but this other fellow I knew who worked there. I just, I remember thinking, I don't know how you work there because he just befriended everyone. And I just went, do you not get played all the time? But he just, he was like, nah, Jesus has called me to be there. This is where I need to be. Um, and I just, I loved his heart in that because he was so convinced that he's like, you know, he, he gave his whole heart and day and work to God. Um, So maybe it was just direction of the Holy Spirit of when to do something, when to, I don't know. But he was just like, no, it's fine.
0: (laughs) I don't know that's a job that I could ever do because, you know, being a Christian, you build relationships with everybody regardless of their background because you want to lead them to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And to not be able to build those relationships would be incredibly challenging. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM positively different. Joining us on the phone this morning is uh, Dr. John Ashton, author of many books, but one in particular that we've been talking about, Evolution Impossible. John, welcome to the show. Hello. John, we've come to chapter 13 of uh, of your book here, Evolution Impossible, which is uh, titled Evidence for the Existence of an Intervening God. And the question that goes through my mind, you know, why is this material in the book about scientific evidence Against evolution, why do we have this particular chapter in this particular book?
2: Well, I think uh, one of the motivations for putting that in there was that there's a very uh, strong effort today to keep God out of the classroom and the other thing is that um, science wants to explain everything in terms of uh, you know just natural processes there's no no room for God, and I think this creates the impression that God—that you know, science has proved that God does not exist. Whereas, in actual fact, of course, many scientists recognise that um, you know there, there must be a God. The DNA codes are so complex that they could not arise by chance. Uh, the famous astronomer Fred Hoyle, Fred Hoyle, pointed out that you know, the uh, values of the uh, physical constants and the way the universe is set up. uh, It's almost as if uh, an intelligence has set it up and fine-tuned it exactly. So I wanted to provide other evidence, real evidence, for uh, people reading the book that we worship a God that's just not out there and set the original universe up, but a God who is a personal God and is... Mm. Interested in us as humans today and can be our friend. That's why I want to include the evidence that we have that God is a personal intervening God.
0: If we look at the size of the universe and, you know, what, say, for instance, uh, Sir Fred Hoyle was talking about there, how he looks out at the universe, he sees, you know, evidence for an intervening God in the universe, isn't our planet really just a speck of dust? And if so, Why would somebody who is big enough and powerful enough to create the universe be interested in one speck of
2: dust? Well... Well, I guess you need to ask God that question. (laughs) (laughs) But I think um, one of the interesting things that has come out of um, you know astronomy is that the Earth is certainly in a very interesting position in the universe and that we appear to be in the center of the universe. My own personal view is that we were created specially in the image of God and the universe was created as the environment for us to experience and explore. It was part of our e- ecology, part of our environment. But again, I think there's a huge need today as we see so many young people turning to excessive uh, drinking and drugs. There's an emptiness in their lives and people need something um, and they need the reassurance that there is a God that they can pray to and, and can answer prayers um and that and that was the whole purpose of of this chapter to point out that not only do we have overwhelming evidence that evolution is absolutely impossible we were created we we are here as a result of supernatural intervention in in nature special creation, and that this god that created us is a god who loves us that we can talk to that we can receive peace and joy from and I think that is so important and I wanted to give clear-cut examples of this as evidence that there is evidence for an intervening God you know the Christianity is a is a historical uh, sort of faith based on evidence a lot of people Think that Christianity isn't based on evidence. You know, it's just a religion space, You know, there's myths and You know, it's this feel-good thing that people want to believe in something. But what I think many people don't realise is that our faith is based on evidence. It's based on the evidence recorded in the Bible, as, as uh, godly men wrote down their experiences with this intervening God. And then since the time of Christ, we have had you know thousands of Christians. Write down in various books and, and give their sermons of their personal experience of God, and this is all evidence. Evidence of an in- intervening God um, that you know answers prayer, and that's why in the book I wanted to. While the book is mainly to deal with evolution, obviously um, I wanted to include some clear examples, both from history and both from personal experiences, and both where I did research and interviewed people. Uh, In the research laboratories where I worked, about their experiences of uh, personal uh, answers to prayer and so forth. Uh, And that's what I'm on to do provide that evidence so that we have evidence. We have evidence for why why we believe.
0: So, what are some of the examples that you um, cite in this chapter for people having a personal experience with God?
2: Well, uh, for example, um, you know, one of the uh, local uh, medical practitioners, when she was uh, travelling to uh, work, working up at uh, Wingham, and she lived down near Taree, uh, she was driving along a windy road, when suddenly she heard an audible voice, as if someone was sitting in the back of the car saying, slow down, and uh, she said she was brought up with manners, and and her reply, she didn't feel afraid, but her reaction was, I beg your pardon? And the voice repeated and said, slow down. And she was just overwhelmed. What was is, what is happening? And she just pulled off the road and slowed down. Just at that moment, a yellow Ford Mustang came round the corner on the wrong side of the road at very high speed. And mm. she said, you know, if she had it kept on going, she most certainly would have been very seriously injured if not killed. Um, and so this is, you know, quite a quite a spectacular example what
0: does what does science say about these kinds of experiences do they do do, do scientists who are ruling you know the supernatural out of the equation are they just saying that this is uh some kind of you know psychotic episode what what does what does science say about this kind of thing
2: well, I think if you obviously the local doctor's experience has been examined by scientists. If we take, for example, Joan of Arc, who also heard voices um, and was appointed. When you when you think of the fact that here we had a seventeen, sixteen, seventeen 16, 17 year old girl appointed to the head of the French army, how at a time when, you know, women were considered as, you know, the property of men sort of thing in this sort of culture. Um, how could that happen? The reason was that, that she was a very pious girl and God revealed to her the prayers of the, um, of the king of, uh, or the Dauphin. He hadn't been the crown king of uh, France. And she was able to get an audience with him and told him what he had you know, prayed to God and when, he recognised that. That was why she was put in charge. And, of course, God um, gave her direction, spoke to her. She heard audible voices. And she was able to lead the army to victory at that particular time and free the oppression from the, uh, from the English. We have another example in more recent times, in Ellen White's time. There was Ellen White, the visions and so forth she received and, and so forth. But there's also Harriet Tubman that escaped slave, who again was very devoted to God. He was an illiterate woman. Joan of Art was illiterate as well, um, who God spoke to. And this woman, following the directions that God gave her, audible directions as he spoke to her, was able to lead the slaves to safety, even though there were people looking for her everywhere and trying to, to stop her. And she led hundreds of slaves to... Uh, to, to safety. Um, matter of fact, I understand she even stayed in White's house at, at one stage. And so we have these, you know, classic, um, examples there. We have examples of premonitions where people have had of, of warning them against, um, you know, danger and, and so forth. Um, my friend, uh, many people would know Joy Butler had a friend while she was staying in, um, Zimbabwe who, um, uh, her, her friend had uh, arrived uh, home after doing the shopping or whatever and uh, parked her car just in drive left it running while she opened the gate uh, to her property, but there was a man hiding uh, behind the fence, and he, as she opened the gate, he jumped out and jumped into the open door of the car and drove off. The problem was that the lady's little girl was in the back seat of the car, and, of course, the mother was hysterical uh, as the car drove off. And um, in those days, there was a lot of carjackings, and the cars were taken and driven across the border where they were sold in the neighbouring country. And um, so she was just screaming on the side of the road, you know, distraught, not knowing what to do, as the car drove off. And a man stopped, you know, what's the problem, lady? And, um, said, you know, someone's just driven off my car. My daughter's in it, and this man gave chase. And then another man, the lady was still screaming on the side of the road and another man stopped and um he um and said, What's wrong to this man? My daughter's been kidnapped and he said, Look, I'm a pastor, let's we'll pray and they prayed, God please stop the car. And the um and the man said, well, look, let's, let's go over. Let's get chased. chase. I'll probably go down this main highway. And the lady was a bit reluctant to hop in, but then she saw a Bible on the front seat, and the man said, yes, I'm a pastor. So she went with the man, and they drove along the road, and there they came to the car, and it was stopped in the middle of the road. And the little girl was in the car. And uh, when they talked to the little girl, they said, you know, what happened? She said, well, I was driving along. lot. Once we were driving, along, I was pleading with the man to take me back to mummy. And I saw what appeared to be an angel come and stand on the bonnet of the car that was driving along and, and push what was like a shiny sword into the engine and the car stopped. And of course, there was no hole in the bonnet and everything, but I found a clutch had failed as the car was driving along. They didn't know, um, uh, you know, there wasn't any mechanical problems. And it's interesting, well, I had a little, you know, seven-year-old girl make up something that why wouldn't she just say, well, the car broke down, you know, and that. Ran off sort of thing. And what's interesting so, with um,
0: you know, just thinking about it, and the petrol heads out there will relate to this. You know, when a clutch fails, it usually gives a lot of warning before it does. It doesn't usually just exactly, yeah,
2: and and not usually just you know the car stops as you're driving. Instantaneously, from. <laughs> I've
0: never heard of a clutch failing like that,
2: but um... yeah. So this is um, and I think we you know we had just uh, a few weeks ago a broadcast on the national news. Uh, at the evacuation of Malakuta there in Victoria, there was this massive fireball approaching uh, a group of people that were sort of fleeing from their homes to the jetty there. Um, and this man who was a Christian, David Jefferies was his name, uh, he was a Christian, he called out to God, yelled out, and all the people around there, you know, God, if you're there in Jesus' name, please stop these flames, push them away something like that, and instantly a wind came in, a really strong wind came in from the east and blew the fire front back, and in the interview, it was on television, now, another 30 seconds they would have been consumed by this huge ball of fire that I think when I read the newspaper report later it was estimated to be something like uh, 60 feet high and, and travelling, you know, uh, 90 90 kilometres an hour or something. So, and that was in front of people and that got, you know, the media. So, uh, and those people's lives were, were saved. I, know. I read in one report, for example, that the guy said that he saw the embers raining down. They landed on the grass, but they didn't even set fire to the grass then around them. He said it was almost like a Daniel and his three friends experience. So I think, you know, in the book, we want, I wanted to point out that they When we consider the hundreds of thousands of examples, probably millions of examples of answers to prayer that have been recorded over time, we have this overwhelming evidence that God is real. We have uh, an intervening God. You know, I think the evacuation from Dunkirk, I um, I haven't seen the, the movie, but I remember reading about it there, how the cloud came in. People were praying as they were trying to get the troops off that beach. You know, 300,000 men were about to be killed um, and the clouds came in that stopped the German Air Force from being able to strafe them as they were on, exposed on the beach there. Um, and yet it was very unseasonal for that cloud and fog to come in at that particular time. Now, there's another classic example given at um, Boat River in South Africa where the Vortrekkers were surrounded by a massive Zulu force and they made a covenant with God that there were something like 700 Vortrekker families in wagons, uh, farmers with their wives and children surrounded by a force of three or 4,000 Zulu warriors and they prayed to God they made a covenant that if God saved them they would you know, always remember this and teach their children. And um, that particular night, this mist, unseasonable mist, came down around and covered the whole camp and the Zulu royal warriors kept back as the people had lit uh, lanterns and saw the shadows that spooked the Zulu warriors and, and they left there with very little loss of life and there's a bronze memorial there. So we have these... You know, records that have been preserved of, of God intervening in the lives of those faithful people that uh, turn to him. Mm.
0: Yeah, and John, I, we do need to finish up, but um, I just want to add to that, that you know, when you get a group of Christians who sit around and start sharing these kind of stories, it, it almost feels like everyone has a story to share from mm. somewhere. And when you start to add that up, that is an enormous weight of evidence. But, uh, John, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Dr. Dr. John Ashton, author of many books, but uh, including Evolution Impossible. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Right now, it is time for Question of the Day. And for our question of the day today, we decided that we were going to look into the youth bible that we have here sitting on our desk which is just outstanding and click on one of the qr codes and Mm. see what it had to say and one of the questions that was in the corner of one page on the bible was this question was are animals and humans equal so this is a question that goes around in our world today and particularly you'll find this amongst animal rights activists Mm. you'll find them saying that well animals you know all life is equal um therefore you know all animals are just as you know they have just as many and the same rights as human beings and so you find some of these animal rights activists that will not use you know motorized transport for instance because there's too much danger of killing bugs and there's no difference between killing a bug and killing a human
1: interesting
0: yeah so the question so it's a really good question that's being proposed right here uh if you compare so i'm just going to read to you the answer Mm. as we have it right here uh, from the youth Bible that we, uh, that we have sitting on our desk here. Uh, from the QR code, it says, If you compare human DNA to that of a chimpanzee, you'll find that they share the vast majority of genetic information in common. Hence, the argument goes, we and chimps must have evolved from a common ancestor. However, humans and chimpanzees have some remarkable and decisive differences, particularly when it comes to the shape of their brains. A human brain is three times larger than that of a chimpanzee, with far more connections between neurons for processing information, and everything else that our minds are capable of. The incredible gap between human and animal minds, supposedly directly related through evolution, still challenges scientists. Compared to chimpanzees, our brains are not only proportionally larger, but also far more intricate and complex. It has been proposed that one of the key features that make us human is our capacity to consider future alternatives and make deliberate choices in response to situations. Chimps and every other man, animal don't seem to have anything close to this ability. The difference between human brains and those of chimps make a drastic difference. Instead of focusing on the acclaimed similarities, which are supposed to exist between creatures that inhabit the same planet and the same have similar physiology, and metabolism, researchers might instead focus on the huge differences. And those differences, mysterious for the naturalists, truly point to the fact that we were made in the image and likeness of God. In fact, as humans, we are the only creatures in the Bible said to be made in the image of God. That distinction alone explains the vast qualitative difference between humans and other animals. So there's something to get you started. Um, And just to continue on from there, when it comes to humans, we are capable of analytical thought, Mm. true language, a record of history, economics, art, morality, worship. We bury our dead. And the list could go on and on and on, Mm. making us as humans very, very different from the animal world. And the Bible speaks about, you know, the different levels of God's creation, you know, angels being above humans, mm-hmm. humans being below angels, animals being below humans, and then it goes down through fish and through insects and so forth. And that humans are responsible for this earth. We were given dominion or stewardship over the earth. Mm-hmm. We were to look after the earth, an animal cannot take, can take uh, responsibility for the planet. Yes. Human yes. beings can take responsibility for the planet. So, God has given us all of these things, and there is no evolutionary link. There's no missing links, there's no phases between an animal's brain, an animal's way of thinking, and the human brain. There should mm. be, you know, in reality, a whole grey area moving from one to the other. There isn't. Mm. You just have the two different kinds of brains and that's it because evolution is just, well, a myth. It's a theory.